0: Welcome to the ninth episode of the 39A podcast. This is Anoop Surendranath from Project 39A, and we're a criminal justice program based out of the National Law University in Delhi. In today's episode, we have Dr. Vijay Raghavan with us, who teaches at the Center for Criminology and Justice at the Tata Institute of Social Sciences in Mumbai. At TIS Mumbai, Dr. Raghavan also heads the Field Action Project, Prayas, which works on custodial rights and rehabilitation of those who come into conflict with the criminal justice system. Thank you, Dr. Agavan, for joining us today.
1: Thank you, thank you, Anup. Uh, It is always a pleasure interacting with uh, you and your team. Yeah,
0: so today's conversation, uh, Dr. Agavan, is uh, on prisons uh, and COVID in particular. Uh, But before I start that conversation on on the particular issue of COVID in prisons, I thought it might be good to have sort of your sense on prisons in India more generally and how we must Mm -hmm. understand them as institutions in India. Mm -hmm. And because I think a lot of that conversation has great bearing on what has happened during the pandemic so far and what we're likely to see. Uh, yeah. So, so in that sense, uh, could you just reflect on, uh, in our governance systems, mm. uh, how would you characterize uh, the approach to prisons uh, yeah. from with, within government? Uh, mm. as, and, yeah. and what is their institutional approach to prisons? I know that's a very broad question, but I think yeah. it would be good to just start off with your thoughts on that yeah. and yeah. pick yeah. up from there.
1: I would say that if you want to really look at the whole governance uh system or structure of prisons in India, uh, one will probably have to go to the colonial era uh, because, uh, as you are well aware, most of the prisons in our country are still governed by the Prisons Act of 1894, except for uh, uh, three or four states uh, where they have come up with their own uh, state laws, uh, West Bengal, Kerala. Haryana, uh, Delhi, and I think Punjab is in the making, to the best of my knowledge. All the other states are still following the Prisons Act of 1894, which, as you all uh, know, was uh, you know legislated for a different purpose. That is what actually dictates uh, how our prisons are uh, governed uh, till today. There have been changes, uh, mainly because of the fact that the uh, Uh, you know, the prison manual that was created first uh, when Dr. Reckless uh, came to India in the 50s. Uh, He was a UN correctional expert and a well-known criminologist, American criminologist, Walter C. Reckless. Uh, He was invited to India uh, in uh, the post independence era by the then Prime Minister Jawaharlal Nehru uh, in the mid-50s. And uh, the then director of TISS, uh, Dr. J.C. Kumarappa, Uh, had a role in bringing him to India. And he, along with another uh, correctional expert called Edward, Lord Edward Galloway, they were here for a fairly longish period, uh, Mm -hmm. I think for almost a year. And Mm -hmm. uh, they spent more than six months of that period during uh, their their stay at TISS. This was, uh, I would say, uh, really the the period when a a lot of uh, work around corrections was getting rewritten. So the first uh, first conference of inspectors general of prison was held at Tata Institute during this period. After a long gap, the first training program of prison uh, staff, jailers, and uh, assistant superintendents, etc., uh, was conducted at this during this period, and the mm-hmm. first. Training program for probation officers was also uh, conducted during uh, this period. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. This also led to the framing of the Probation of Offenders Act, 1958, right. Mm. Right. and uh, and also the the Model Prison Manual, uh, the first mm. Model Prison Manual. Uh, the decision to form a committee to draft the Model Prison Manual uh, was taken uh, during this uh, period. Yeah. Uh, so, and I think this has got something to do with the fact that. Uh, you know, uh, most of our freedom fighters had been to prison. They had probably experienced uh, prison conditions firsthand, and therefore, it somewhere came into the uh, priorities of uh, you know trying to do something to improve the situation of our prisons and uh, custodial institutions. Uh, right. there, there was also a Gore Committee uh, set up to look mm-hmm. at the whole issue of aftercare. Dr. MS Gore, who was a former director of this, uh, uh, so I would say that. Uh, up from the fifties to the seventies, there was a, an attempt to, uh, you know, improve uh, uh, prison conditions and also to bring in the correctional and the rehabilitation uh, framework uh, somewhere. Right. In. So right. appointment of probation officers, appointment of uh, well prison welfare officers, oh, uh, right. s- schemes for prisoners' welfare, etc., were, were were somewhere brought in. But uh, I mean, my analysis is that uh, the focus on welfare began to change after the 70s. Right. And especially with the, the Garibi Hatao uh, program launched by Mrs. Gandhi, uh, mm-hmm. the focus started, shifted to a direct attack on poverty. Uh, right. Rather than looking at this whole area of uh, persons who are left behind and need support and welfare measures, right. the, it was right. uh, somehow assumed that you know, uh, if there is a direct attack on poverty through anti-poverty programs, there will mm-hmm. not be a need to invest in social welfare. Right. And uh, right. and in that process, the whole emphasis on corrections uh, began to kind of, you know, uh, ebb. Right.
2: And so
1: right. from the 70s onwards, I see a shift, uh, a, a tectonic shift in terms of, uh, you know, how our prisons uh, were seen as a subject matter. Right. And, and, and this is also the period when the accumulation of under-trials began to really uh, cause serious problems. And, and then leading up to the period of the early 80s when the, the police commission went around the country and they saw the horrible conditions in which uh, under-trials were kept. Uh, and particularly uh, those articles written by just uh, Mr. Rustamji Who was a Mm -hmm. member of the National Police Commission, which led to, uh, you know, in the Indian Express, which led to the Supreme Court taking Suomoto cognizance. And in fact, the history of prison reforms in India is uh, pretty much linked with the history of public interest litigation Litigation. in India, as I mean, as you well know, I mean, probably more than me. So this is where I would say that uh, since then, we have been struggling uh, to somehow, uh, you know, keep up. Uh, with uh, a problem which keeps burgeoning, uh, mm-hmm. and somehow uh, the issues don't seem to go away, despite right. number of uh, reform committee reports uh, and despite uh, ad hoc attempts made to somehow address the issues from uh, time to time. Uh, so we right. somehow seem to be,
0: uh, you know, going round in circles when it right. comes to this subject. I mean, in, in a certain interesting way, there is a certain colonial continuity. In terms of the formal legal instruments that govern these spaces, yes. Uh, right, but interesting aspect of what you just spoke about yeah. uh, was that there is that moment post independence, where is that where there is that thinking for a couple of decades, yes, uh, uh, that seeks to undo some of that colonial experience, yes, uh, yes, and yet then there is that uh, lack of uh, governance. Imperative uh, yeah. or or focus towards prisons, yes. um, but fundamentally, as as a political perspective on this, um, yeah. For just for our listeners, why are prisons not a priority? I mean, yeah. that's very often asked, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. why yeah. is it uh, in terms of so many things? In terms of yeah. how the uh, prison cadre of uh, is created, how it functions, yeah. the budgeting, the provisions, yeah. just the infrastructure. But, Correct. I mean, I know, again, it's a complicated, long question, but yes. uh, it's just for our listeners, why do you sure. think it's not a priority?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, if you just look at the uh, the India Justice Report of 2020, and if you look at uh, simple things like vacancies, uh, right. which is ranging uh, between 30 to 40%, uh, uh, the vacancies in medical posts, Uh, doctors and paramedics, uh, uh, the overcrowding situation. I mean, all of this is kind of well-known and written about. Uh, And the the second question that comes up is that the solutions to these problems is not rocket science. I mean, uh, for anybody who has been working in this field for a significant amount of uh, period would would be able to come up with answers which more or less are the same, you know, that you need to... you know, bring bring about reform in the bail system. You need to right. improve the legal aid system of the country. You need to de- bring about decriminalisation of laws. I mean, there could be some five or six uh, such. Right. You need to probably increase the judge population uh, right. ratio, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. But why is it not happening? So the first question might be that you know resources could be a problem. But my sense is that that is not the real issue. Because mm-hmm. even if you look at the budget, uh, it is a very small, uh, it's, a, it's a pittance uh, okay. of the of the amount that uh, we spend on our criminal justice system, leave alone uh, prisons. On mm-hmm. the entire CJS, the, the, the percentage of uh, the budget that we spend on, out of the total budget, GDP or the annual uh, budgeting outlays of the state government and the union government, it's really a very, very fac- small fraction. If, if, if that budget was increased even by a, a, a smaller amount, it would still yeah. lead to uh, pretty larger changes in the, Change. in the system. Yeah. Uh, so for me, uh, the answer lies in the fact that there is no political will. And, right. and that, of course, uh, is because uh, prisoners and persons in custody do not constitute vote banks. Uh, they yeah. are atomized, uh, isolated individuals uh, who have lost the support not only of the community, but sometimes even of their families. Uh, and therefore, they don't really matter. The very fact that under the representation of People's Act, they, don't, uh, they are not allowed to vote, uh, right. even if they are under trials. Uh, and the funny thing is, once they come out on bail, they can vote. But if they are right. in prison, they can't vote. That, I think that uh, in itself speaks something about uh, you know, why right. uh, things are not changing. And just to add one one more point is uh, that especially in the last 20 years across the world, uh, the -hmm. proliferation of penal populism, uh, you know, where there is a a stress towards harsher laws and, uh, you know, uh, debunking any theories or practices in uh, the area of rehabilitation. uh, I think these also are factors which have contributed to this
0: process. Uh, So just um, moving the conversation forward and picking a strand on that, that here are uh, people and a section of our population uh, who are often not allowed to speak out for themselves in, one thing, in many senses, yeah. right? Yeah. And, there are, and, yeah. and then and then there is a the lack of interest in speaking out for them either, you know, yeah. uh, in any meaningful way from within government or within yes. political parties. And that combines in sort of very strange ways to produce the situation that uh, mm-hmm. we are in. Uh, but, uh, and, and in, But in terms of that, you are, that governments and uh, parties are able to do this, right? mm. uh, how much of it is also that uh, is a social imagination of prison and uh, prisoners and those accused of crime, right? I mm. mean, it's that, mm. that sort of, if you just pick up on that uh, yeah. point that you made about uh, people being atomized, that there is a certain social dynamic Correct. That al- al- and, and social conversation that allows for that atomization yes. and saying Absolutely. that you know it's it's, it's okay to ignore yes. them or 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 worse to treat them even more harshly Absolutely. and that sort of feeds into all these conversations about oh why right. are we spending taxpayers' money on prisons yeah. Um, yeah. and all of those kinds of conversations. Correct. Right?
2: Correct. Um,
0: okay. uh, so if I may just be a little provocative and ask you, uh, yeah. why should we spend? Uh, Taxpayers' yeah. money on prisons, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And two, if you could also then reflect on why has social conversation
2: mm. headed
0: in that direction of uh, mm. demonizing that section of population, yeah. saying yeah. that we really need to. Uh, it's 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 almost like a very retributive approach yeah. in that social conversation, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, so if you could just speak to both, yeah,
2: yeah,
1: yeah. So so uh, why should one spend? Uh, on prisons and prisoners. Uh, I mean, a simple uh, way to look at this would be, uh, let's look at uh, the population that constitutes prisoners and uh, our uh, prison statistics India report, as well as the India justice report, tell us that uh, it's 85% uh, belong to the marginalized sections of society. These are Dalits, tribals, minorities, especially Muslims and uh, OBC communities. Uh, So while they, uh, see, this is an important thing to understand that the same person, when he or she or they are out in the community, uh, they are seen as, uh, you know, worthy of uh, uh, state support. So you have uh, reservations, you have uh, schemes and programs for persons from all these uh, different communities. Uh, But the moment a person has a brush with the law, the identity yeah. of the person changes. Uh, and right. so therefore, once you enter the criminal justice system uh, by way of arrest, uh, your uh, social background doesn't seem to matter. Uh, right. And this is also because uh, one has also seen that uh, even in terms of uh, uh, you know, so civil society groups and movements mm-hmm. which fight for the rights of uh, marginalized communities, Mm-hmm. whether it is Dalits or tribals or, uh, you know, uh, even women for that matter, uh, the 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 moment people go into custody, somehow uh, they are not able, these very groups uh, tend to invisibilize them. I mean, I don't know of too many women's groups or the women's movement, which is fighting mm-hmm. for the rights of women prisoners. Right. I, I don't right. know of too many Dalit rights groups or uh, movements which is talking about uh, the problems of dalit
2: prisoners mm-hmm. and so
1: on and and so forth so this right. kind of a uh, demarcation uh, right. runs through not only the state and state structures
0: right. but even right. in terms of civil society uh, uh, mm-hmm. participation Interesting.
2: right yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: I mean it is pretty hmm. much a retributive conversation on crime right. isn't it I right. mean right, right. Uh, absolutely and and there is no other conversation on crime yeah. Uh,
2: yeah right
0: and and I guess that also further aids this process of saying these are people we don't need to care about right, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that or, or these are individuals who are a burden on society right right, uh, right. so in, and before we just jump to the covid context it's going to be my last question on yes. broader understanding what is the way forward on this social, in this sort of really sharp uh, yeah. social and political conversation yeah.
2: Yeah. on exactly. crime? I
0: mean, unless unless I think we start uh, bl- sort of blunting those edges uh, and those very sharp edges, Correct. Uh, there is never going to be any motivation to do the kind of things that we've been discussing about very so true. far. Very true.
1: I think that it's here that the role of the media becomes very important because they are the ones who are driving these narratives, the, okay. the, these mainstream narratives that exist because every time a heinous crime is, a, uh, is committed, uh, the way in which it is reported, uh, so, okay. uh, so uh, that's one part. Secondly, uh, uh, crimes committed by uh, powerful people, uh, economic okay. offenders, for example. Or or terrorism-related crimes, uh, the way these uh, these kind of crimes get reported, the larger narrative that's getting created is that are that the you know these are criminals who do not deserve any kind of uh, uh, sympathy. Uh, they don't right. deserve any kind of uh, humane treatment. And right. uh, also, I think uh, as a society, we still continue to hold the retributive uh, you know angle uh, more right. than anything else, while uh, when it comes to uh, theory, we may still have we may have moved from retribution to uh, rehabilitation, but in practice, somehow uh, you know. And and one classic example is every time a heinous crime is committed, especially crime against women, uh, right. you find the kind of uh, you know responses from the public. Uh, just the, for example, the Hyderabad uh, right. encounter right. Uh, uh, case and right. how those policemen were eulogized by. Uh, you know, one and all, including in the social media in a big way. Right. So that kind of tells us something about uh, what, what really, what are our thoughts on? And I think there is a sense of uh, a lack of understanding as well as uh, helplessness in the larger community about how does one deal with crime? And right. I think uh the, the, the reason for that is an absence of, uh, you know, a more a nuanced, Uh, discussion on uh, what is the way forward. I mean, so one needs to probably, you know, categorize uh, people in crime into, you know, know, like, for example, the fact that uh, a significant proportion of persons in prison, uh, you know, are arrested for offenses, which are really not the serious ones. And even if they're the serious ones, uh, they are more a failure of or breakdown of relationships. Uh, right. rather than cold-blooded, uh, you know, planned kind of uh, killings that right. uh, that takes place. But unfortunately, this story never gets uh, right. comes to the right. center stage. And, and I think that's where, uh, I mean, I think the way forward is there. I mean, we need to have more and more conversations. We need to have more of reporting, yeah. uh, <laughs> maybe even uh, making a lot of audiovisual material which can reach uh, the public to somehow and change change this narrative, but it's it's a very tough ask.
0: That's right, and and, and I think even talking of the uh, reformative aspect of it, I think I, and of course you've you've worked in this space a lot longer than uh, I have, but I think even the little experience that I've had, I think yes. there's such a little disjunct between uh, the stated goals of the system in terms of being reformation, yes, right, and then, yes. and the sort of actual practices inside prison. Very. Right, uh, yeah. which is still a institution of disciplining in that yeah, sense. Absolutely, right? Yeah, uh, it's that. It's where you are taught in that uh, with all that yes. comes with uh, that yes. kind of teaching. Right, yes. Where you are yes. taught
2: to uh,
0: uh, uh, be disciplined to walk yeah. the line in that yeah. sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And 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 that and the stated goals never translate into the daily practices uh, inside prison. Very. Right. And and therefore, then you're wondering about uh, what kind of experiences are people having inside prison and what is the impact of that experience yeah. uh, on them when they when they do uh, get out of prison and go back into society. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's, it feeds back into that loop about, uh, is it even a priority to think about reformation in any meaningful yeah. way and invest yeah. in it? Uh, right. right? Uh, and, yeah. 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 Uh, So, now, just moving on to the COVID context, and I just just thought all of this was important uh, for the COVID conversation as well, because I think Mm. so much of it has bearing on all that we have been seeing uh, on prisons, uh, and and, and I guess we will continue seeing. And and I think, for me, the first thing was how little we know. Right? uh, and it's so true of prisons as an institution. And as you said, you know, uh, uh, we, we have an idea of what things are like, you know, for what are people getting in, uh, how long do they stay in prison. But there is a lot of very basic things that we should know about the institution that yeah. is prisons that we do not know, right? Correct. Uh, yeah. and, and, I th- and, and I just felt that that insularity mm. uh, was just exacerbated during yeah. COVID, right? Absolutely, uh, yeah. We knew even less, uh, yeah. right? Uh, right. The, the, the usual people who were allowed to go in and yeah. through which information might have been uh, gathered yes. and collated was yes. just not happening. What did you think of uh, how much information was coming out and how much of it yeah. do we really know yeah. Uh, yeah. Of, of what happened, of what the pandemic was like inside yeah. India's yeah. prison? Very true. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right, Uh, because uh,
1: whatever little, uh, you know, uh, transparency that was there by way of, uh, you know, uh, members of civil society organizations or volunteers or uh, legal aid lawyers uh, visiting the prison or even private lawyers for that matter, uh, the pandemic uh, put a complete stop to all of that. So no outsider was allowed uh, inside. Uh, legal aid lawyers uh, were allowed, but mm-hmm. uh, they uh, themselves were struggling for livelihood during yes. the pandemic period. And our experience shows that they uh, simply vanished uh, when it comes to the legal aid uh, services are concerned, because they were more yeah. worried about their own uh, daily uh, life security, and uh, and you know it, they just were not available. Uh, So, therefore, uh, the only uh, access that prisoners had to to the outside world was, uh, you know, uh, through the phone calls and video calls, which was allowed uh, as a result of the suspension of the mulaqaats, the physical Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. uh, interviews. Uh, And so, we do know that… Uh, I mean, here again, the question is whether everyone was allowed equal access. Because right. there is no way one can know uh, for certainty right. what, whether this happened or not. But one does know of cases uh, through our work where uh, you know people were allowed to, to prisoners were allowed to speak to mm-hmm, their family mm-hmm, members. Mm-hmm, in fact, mm-hmm. uh, in fact, uh, uh, even in terms of uh, uh, some of the uh, uh, foreign prisoners, women, uh, particularly in BiH we, we actually got uh, requests from the prison authorities to call up their relatives abroad who were very worried about the situation uh, in India. Right. So apart yeah. from this, uh, exactly uh, what was the situation inside? Uh, the only way to know about it was through the uh, the court affidavits that yeah. uh, various uh, prison departments uh, across the country, they had to file uh, because, yeah. as you know, there was a slew of public interest litigations that were by Suomoto as well as by public-spirited citizens in different states uh, on on this issue. And the state did have to respond. I mean, I uh, for example, I am aware of one such PIL which is currently going on in the Bombay High Court uh, where I've been assisting the court. And and there's a lot of information that has come uh, by way of affidavits and data submitted by the uh, government to the court. Uh, Mm -hmm. Other than that, there is no... Third-party kind of oversight. Uh, Here again, I would say that uh, the role that the state commissions could have played or the national commissions could have played, Human Rights Commission, Women's Commission, uh, they also were absent in action.
0: I mean, I've been trying to wonder, do we have a sense of what the rate of testing was inside compared to what the rate of Mm. testing was outside? I mean, do we have enough information to even start to understand uh, whether uh, practices inside uh, were at par and at what, at what was, I mean, overall, of course, the situation was terrible generally. But yeah. do we have yeah. any metric to start to understand if the situation and the kind of measures that were adopted inside were almost the same as what was outside prison, or was it worse, or or, or don't we just know enough to make that assessment?
1: Actually, I have. Uh... Uh, I've written a, a paper uh, on uh, COVID and prisons uh, right. in an academic journal uh, in which I try to argue that uh, whatever steps were taken
2: uh, right.
1: with regard to prisoners, right. the motive was, didn't seem, or it didn't come across that the motive was to really concern about their health condition. Right. But the motive right. was uh, to ensure that uh, you know, it didn't spread outside that you know they didn't become carriers. The motive was that there, there shouldn't be a situation where you know there are too many deaths, uh, right. which will create huge problems for the system right. uh, in terms of criticism from uh, civil society and other uh, groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the motive was to somehow keep the the disease under control. Uh, so basically, right. basically, the emphasis was on management right. of, of the disease. Right. And here again. It it was the same panopticon, panopticon methods of surveillance mm. partitioning and segregation mm. uh, that mm. were used. Mm. For example, mm. uh, creating the quarantine prisons. Uh, sorry, mm. these uh, temporary prisons to temporary, quarantine yeah. freshly admitted yeah. admitted prisoners. Uh, yeah. But we one heard that the living conditions in these temporary prisons was uh, it was not good at all. Right. Uh, yeah. From media reports, you know. Right. So again, the focus was not to so much ensured that minimum standards are maintained, but the focus was to somehow control uh, uh, the, right. the disease. In terms of testing, the question that you asked, again, going by data that is submitted to the court, uh, at least in Maharashtra, the number seemed quite impressive. Uh, I mean, I, I, last time I uh, was, this was a month ago, uh, apparently some 66,000 RT-PCR tests were conducted when right. the prison population is about 30,000 plus Okay. At any okay. given point of time, but this again yeah. uh, cannot be generalised uh, because yeah. Yeah. We, we we need to look at uh, the situation state by state, and right. one one source of data which uh, you know uh, listeners might be interested to go to is the uh, tracker which has been put in place by the Commonwealth Human Rights Initiative on COVID prisons, right. yeah. which is available online, which gives uh, uh, up to date data whatever is publicly available on a uh, number of people who have tested positive prisoners, as well as staff, uh, number of people right. who died, uh, num- number of vaccinations that have taken place, uh, etc. cetera. Right.
0: Oh, and, and if you could just uh, state the journal and the paper. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So it's in the International Journal on Social and Economic Development. It's an open access journal. And the, the article is called uh, Prisons and the Pandemic. The Panopticon Plays Out. Right. Uh, so I think uh, if you just Google uh, uh, the, my name and the uh, article name, you'll get the link uh, because it's an Great. open access journal. Yeah. Okay.
2: Fantastic!
1: I've also compared uh, in terms of the response of COVID to uh, in other parts of the world. It's not just world. looking at India, but at other in other parts right. of the world, and there seem to be pretty much a lot of similarities. Similar. yeah.
0: So I I want to just pick up on a, a broader uh, thematic concern I had, and it yeah. ties into this, what you spoke about, uh, as to what really was motivating uh, the various uh, measures undertaken in prisons to deal with the pandemic. Yeah, uh, And I just felt that from early on, uh, and, and I think, uh, I, I guess it was commendable that one of the first issues that was picked up in courts during the yes. pandemic Early last year yes. was prisons, right? I Very mean, there is something. Yes. I think there is something to be said about that. Uh, yes. Despite all the uh, discussion you have been having today, I thought that was quite yep. uh, encouraging. Right. Uh, with and with the setting up of Absolutely, the yeah. high-powered committees and all right. of that. And and but on on reflection, uh, Dr. Raghavan, uh, could we have framed it as a right to health issue rather than? framing it as a decongestion issue? I mean, uh, would that A, to just maybe tease out some of the consequences of that distinction, right? Of what happened as a result of framing it as a decongestion issue uh, rather than framing it as a right to health of of prisoners issue. But maybe we could just reflect on that distinction. Yeah,
1: I mean... Uh, There are no two ways about uh, this, the point that you're making. Uh, And in fact, that's what I've tried to argue in in the paper also that, uh, like I said, it was seen more as a management issue. How does one manage the prisons in the pandemic uh, rather than what are their basic? And one very clear example of this is uh, the manner in which the high-powered committees across the country uh, identified categories of prisoners uh, who could be considered for release on temporary bail or emergency parole and almost all of them took those decisions on the basis of the offense category,
2: mm, rather yeah, than exactly. on health
1: on health yeah. grounds. Yeah? Correct. So yeah. they, they refused to look at, in fact, uh, there were a couple of cases that we were trying to get temporary bail who were mm. arrested. One was arrested in uh, a, a, a Makoka case, uh, which is mm. an organized crime case, uh, mm-hmm. who had like a, 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 a 50% disability. And another was a person, a, a, a lady who was, uh, very, very ill uh, with some blood disorder, and mm. also used to have epileptic fits. And she was arrested in a drug related case, N D P S uh, matter. Mm. And mm. in both these cases, the courts refused to grant bail, whereas mm. they were fit cases, considering the risk to their uh, you know uh, life. And mm. in fact, mm. uh, the recent uh, uh, you know passing away of Father Stan Swami again highlights the same yeah. point
2: that so it was exactly.
1: not. Yeah, you know that it was. Uh, the health grounds were not really considered. It was more the offense for which the person right. was arrested. That was yeah. uh, primary in the minds of uh, our judges, uh, which is I think, uh, w- yeah. was not the best way to deal with the issue. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And true, The entire governance logic I don't think was driven by how vulnerable uh, prisoners, certain prisoners might be due to their Correct. own comorbidities or what other other conditions. Right? And then it seems to have been again a, uh, again, a very retributive approach to this whole thing, yeah. right? I mean, to yeah. say that, uh, you know, we're going to just look at uh, offenses based on what punishments are um, possible yes. and yes. then create those categories. And I just thought it just defied logic, given yeah. that we were dealing with a public health uh, emergency. Absolutely. Uh In that sense. Uh, in terms of uh, just the ability of prisons to handle this, I mean, I think there are very mm. micro... Infrastructure consequences that are tied to the larger conversations on budgets for prison. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right. Uh, and clearly, this was a res- resource-intensive uh, emergency. Uh, how do you think? Uh, again, I know. I mean, I, I guess it's difficult to do these all India yeah. uh, picture assessments sure. Uh, sure. in a short time like this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but again, is it one of those? Again, one of those issues where the larger sort of lack of priority in budgeting uh, yes. has had a very serious consequence on the right to health of prisoners yeah. yes
1: well, i would say that you know uh, this uh, the pandemic really exacerbated uh, the uh, the infrastructure and the human resource constraints uh, right. within the prison uh, system right. so like right. when i when i spoke about the fact that there are about 30 to 40% vacancies in prison mm-hmm. departments across the country mm-hmm. Imagine uh, the fact that uh, there is already, a, 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 you know, a, a huge pressure on them. And because of COVID, they had to sometimes, uh, you know, uh, quarantine themselves as well. So, for example, yeah. uh, in, in Maharashtra, uh, the main uh, central prisons in Mumbai, Thane, Pune, etc., they were uh, under lockdown,
2: uh, yeah.
1: which meant that the staff continued to, have to stay inside the prison for mm. uh, periods as long as fifteen uh, days and more, mm-hmm. you know? uh, mm-hmm. and so they had no contact with their families and uh, continuously on on duty. Right. And this is because we did not have uh, you know spare staff to spare and people right. taking shifts and uh, right. on on rotation uh, basis. Right. Uh, right. Similarly, when it comes to health facilities,
2: yeah,
1: you know uh, we all know that the situation of health. Uh, healthcare in prisons is, is uh, pretty yeah. uh, you know
2: appalling yeah. 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 yeah
1: yeah and and so that got exacerbated again yeah uh, and, and so therefore uh, basically i would say that given the fact that there were so many constraints uh, i'm surprised mm-hmm. with uh, the the fact that uh, you know any major disaster uh, hasn't mm-hmm. taken place Uh, so far in terms of uh, deaths or a very high positivity rate. It started like that in 2020 in somewhere Mm. in the month of May uh, Mm. when, uh, for example, in Arthur Road, some 150 people tested positive, but then somehow slowly the situation was uh, brought under control. Uh, So uh, to that extent, I would say that uh, the existing uh, people who were working in the system uh, Mm they have somehow been able to manage uh, a situation, but I'm sure there has been a, like a heavy cost to pay
0: for it. Right. Yeah. So, so obviously then the high powered committees created these categories of offenses. If you were under that category, you were entitled, whatever you could, you were identified as being uh, eligible in that yeah. sense for emergency bail and or parole. And you could apply yeah. for that. And yeah. whatever there was a process to be followed in giving yeah. you that emergency right. Bail or then, parole. Yeah, but I think, and that, and i just going to take then the conversation to the larger point of what about those who did fall into these categories, right? Mm, yeah, uh, right. And then the near total suspension, yeah, of uh, the courts of, of, of court functioning yes. on normal bail questions. Yes, uh, uh, who are, did fall into these categories or were eligible for emergency bail or parole? Yes uh, so you are not having your regular bail hearings your Correct. trials are not happening yes. right uh, and 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 then you're struggling to keep the judicial infrastructure going uh, yes. and and therefore you don't and, and 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 again you have that conundrum where you're releasing people but you also seem to be bringing in a lot of people yes right yes. and, and yes. sending a lot more people to prison so and 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 now we are almost what uh, uh, sixteen months, uh, 16, 17 months into uh, yeah. sixteen months into the pandemic, yeah. uh, and and we are very far from the judicial system and the legal system. Sort of the wheels starting to move again. Yes, uh, very true. so what do we what do we do of this population? Right, who yeah. are not entitled yeah. under this framework that we've developed uh, to, to get out. But neither is uh, do they have access to the, for the lack of a better word, a normal legal system. Yes. Uh, What is the way out? Yeah.
1: No, it's a travesty of justice as far as these these people are concerned. Because like you said, uh, categories of uh, prisoners who were to be considered as eligible, uh, ultimately it was the trial court judge or the magistrate who had to take a call. And if you look at data, uh, when these categories were worked out, the hpc had anticipated i'm talking of maharashtra that's where yeah. i know more uh, the hpc had anticipated 17 and a half thousand prisoners would get released uh, yeah. and that would reduce the prison population by 50% you know uh, so maharashtra yeah. for example has a official capacity of holding 23000 prisoners so mm-hmm. it would have come yeah. down to 17 and a half thousand which would have right. made social distancing also uh, like a possibility Possibly. but ultimately only about 10,000 were released. And when we did an analysis, uh, in fact, through our team members, uh, of what was happening, we found that a lot of bail applications were either kept pending or they were rejected, despite the fact that they were considered eligible. Uh, Reasons for uh, cases kept pending were case papers were not found on time because uh, there was staff shortage in the courts because they were working at 30% uh, as per COVID restrictions. Uh, you know, the public prosecutor's say was not uh taken, was not available on the day the, the bail hearing took place, mm. or the magistrate because the judges were also uh, sitting in uh, in court in, on interns, so mm. on that particular mm. day, the magistrate or the judge was not there. So the additional judge or magistrate said, I'm not going to decide in this matter, let the regular judge or magistrate come in yeah.
2: and take yeah. this matter. And then
1: there were equal number of cases that were rejected. Bail was rejected because documents are not there or, you know, citizenship proof documents are not there. or Mm -hmm. they were treating it like a regular bail matter.
2: They 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 were not
1: really treating it as a a corona bail, which is how it's uh, popularly uh, Mm -hmm. known. And so the purpose for which the HPC created those categories to some extent did get uh, defeated and frustrated. So this is one. Second is those who have been denied uh, the possibility of, uh, you know, uh, being even considered for bail right. right. uh, like uh, there may be people who are seriously ill or, you know, uh, you know, uh, maybe may a lot of people facing mental health issues. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, my hunch is that mental health problems must have gone up uh, significantly uh, during these last 60 right. months because, uh, you know, we you are you're uh, dealing with prisoners. Whose cases are at a standstill? Uh, right. Trials have stopped. Their regular bail hearings are not taking place. Uh, physical mulakats are stopped. Entry of organisations and NGOs into the system is stopped. Uh, imagine, therefore, uh, in what mental yeah. condition and state? I mean, and, of and,
0: and, and, and on that, uh, if the medical facilities in prison yeah. themselves yeah. tell an abysmal story yes. Yes. within yes. that within yes. that medical. Uh, facility story is the even worse story yeah. of mental health yes, uh, facilities, right? Absolutely. I mean, yeah. uh, and and one one just wonders um, yeah. what what has happened on that front. I, I just want to end with two broader questions. Right? Yes, uh, one is the use of technology, right? Mm. Um, mm. Right, and and yeah. and and I think that's that, that's also larger sociopolitical conversation on how technology is. Uh, yes. Almost perceived as a panacea uh, for almost everything without really yeah. understanding its uh, social context, its cultural context, and then how uh, technology itself can exclude. Uh, yeah, right. Absolutely. Uh, right, and and now in the prison context, as you earlier alluded to as well, that critical aspect of a molaka. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Is now converted into a, a technological uh, solution. Right? Yeah, is yeah, a solution, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's not very difficult for, uh, very difficult to see why telling people that they need to call on a phone with with a sufficient, uh, I mean, it has to be a smartphone. It has to yeah. have a certain amount of uh, connectivity. Yeah. Uh, it has to have, you have to be able to buy data, yeah. uh, right? And is, is also an exclusion, right? I mean, yeah, in, in, yeah. In, <laughs> yeah. and you can see that in so many different ways. In, yeah. in education, yeah, uh, absolutely. In, right? So, do you do you fear that yeah. now this is here to stay? In that mm-hmm. sense, right? Mm-hmm. We've now uh, let this out. We've let the yeah. genie out of the bottle. In yeah, that sense, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and now you might say, yeah, why do we need to have, uh, mm-hmm. or at least have more and more adoption of these technologies? Where you're saying. You don't yeah. really need to come all the way, yeah. and it is for your own good yeah. that you don't need to come all the way. But there is there is another story to this, isn't it? I mean, yeah, yeah. Letting people come and meet
2: me. Right. Yeah.
1: No, in fact, uh, I have like uh, two two things to say about this. One is that uh, at least thanks to this technology, uh, yeah. there wasn't a complete breakdown with family breakdown. On, with family ties. So uh, that is something that I want to uh, kind of acknowledge that thanks to the fact that these video calls or phone calls, uh, PCOs were available, prisoners could at least contact their family members, talk to them, et cetera. cetera. Uh, But uh, already, even before the pandemic, uh, there are many states which are now uh, have started uh, facilities like phone calls and, uh, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, mulaqaats through video conferencing, Right. Uh, and, and e-mulakat and online yeah. uh, booking of uh, mulakat slots. In fact, yeah. Prayas, uh, we did a study on this uh, mm. last year. Uh, the, mm. the report brought, was brought out last year, but the study was done before the pandemic uh, mm. of, uh, you know, looking at the situation of uh, some of the best practices in terms of improving uh, mulakat uh, facilities. You know? mm. Uh,
2: mm. And
1: so there have been some significant uh, and good, uh, um, you know, uh, Practices that have been initiated in this uh, regard. Uh, mm. My sense is that I don't think physical mulakats will stop once the pandemic mm. uh, situation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, becomes better, uh, mm. because it's uh, it's it's like you know we are it's it's we are signatories to the Mandela Rules and uh, mm. you know it, it's part of our prison manuals historically as well. Mm. Uh, so I don't think it's going to go away. But it's possible that uh, technology might, uh, we might reach a situation where, uh, you know, physical mulakats would be less uh, right. and, and more and more people, even for family members, uh, right. you know, uh, particularly those who come from uh, difficult family backgrounds mm-hmm. or right. where it's, it's, it's expensive to travel all the way to come and meet a family member. Uh, they true. might end up uh, using phone calls, uh, to right. keep in touch, hmm? uh, which may be more convenient for family members, but it may have a uh, you know a, a negative impact uh, as far as right. the prisoner uh, is concerned. Right. Yeah, that yeah. actually this is uh, one story where the technology part can have two sides. But hmm. uh, when you look at the way technology has been used to hold, say, virtual court hearings, virtual court. Right. you clearly see the digital divide where a lot of lawyers uh, who do not have access to good access mm. to technology, internet, right. Uh, right. connectivity, they were not able to participate in the this process as well as some of the better uh, lawyers coming from better off uh, situations. You know? And right. and so while the high court hearings uh, seem to be like a, you know, like a, game changer in terms of, uh, uh, you know, virtual hearings, etc. But the local courts, things have not really uh, changed. So technology, uh, you know, is not necessarily able to bridge the
0: divide because the divide, I think, is too huge. Even with technology, even even, even the points that you were making, I I don't think anyone is making the argument that we should not adopt technology. Correct, correct. Uh, but, But the idea that technology does have exclusionary impact no doubt uh, right? about that yeah. and that while adopting technology particular attention must be paid to mitigate that Absolutely. those exclusionary aspects is just Absolutely. as critical right yes so yes, even yes. even if you say that we are going to adopt technology yeah right you yeah. also have to then say okay what does adopting this do right Correct. Uh, Correct. And, and if it's going to exclude people in certain ways what are our solutions to those yeah. exclusionary uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, consequences? Good. But my, 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 my last question is this, uh, Dr. Agurit. In terms of, I mean, I, I, I feel that, you know, the conversation on prisons mm. is that we just don't know enough, right? Yeah. And we don't yeah. know accurately enough, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and, and there And I think there are very critical, foundational pieces of information that we need to Push the conversation forward, right? Yeah. Uh, otherwise, we are constantly stuck in this. It's, it's convenient uh, yeah. for, for to ignore prisons when you, you don't have to confront that kind of reality, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh,
0: but what is the way forward in terms of saying that looking at prisons is not, can't just exclusively be the function of government, right? Yes, it's, absolutely. it's that that even as you said, even as you were saying that in the Bombay High Court proceedings, yeah. um, that the government is producing data, yeah. should I would think it should also be independently verifiable, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, but we are very far from that. Yes, uh, We're yes. very far from that. Yeah. Um, uh, do you see that changing? I know there were sort of these, uh, 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 the prison visiting committees that were formed and you know that has a, its own story of what has happened to that. Uh, So it seems to be this really terrible combination of lack of it it not being a sufficient priority in governance, plus uh, a high degree of insularity. and and these two combine to make it a very uh, dark, secret world, in that sense. Uh, But you have any, I mean, in your many, many years of experience, uh, I'm sure you've seen the needle move, uh, a little bit, uh, or uh, or uh, quite a bit. Uh, but what is the way forward? I mean, is there? Yeah. Uh, what are some of the smaller things that uh, we should be able to do?
2: Yeah.
0: yeah so
1: you know, I, 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 at least based on what our experience has been, I mean, the only way forward is is for the state and civil society to acknowledge uh, each other's uh, contribution and need to collaborate with each other. Uh, because as long as uh you know you see these places as uh you know places where where you need to securitize them then your security concern becomes your priority so uh if if there is for example an a, a researcher who wants to uh you know uh, carry out a very useful piece of research and let's say suppose somebody wants to look at uh, you know I, i'm just for the sake of provocation i'm saying why do men rape okay uh, because you know that seems to pretty much be a conversation that's happening all the time about you know uh, these cruel men who are uh, you know going around uh, raping women if you want to do a study on that you need access uh, to people who may have committed such uh, offenses but the problem with our country right now is that uh, the security uh, aspects are overriding the uh, the research, uh, as well as the reform and rehab uh, agenda of, of our prisons. Uh, and so you're constantly confronted with dealing with officials who uh, look at you with uh, either suspicion or with disdain. Uh, you know, at, as people who are, uh, I, I was told by, a, a not here, not in Maharashtra, but in another state by a director general of prisons that uh, you people see prisoners as exhibits, and so prison is not a place where you know you can come and do your experiments. And I, I just didn't know where to start, uh, you know, in terms of responding to this kind of uh, impression. Uh, you also have uh, circulars uh, issued by the Ministry of Home Affairs, uh, which was done in 2016 after the uh, that BBC documentary uh, on the yeah. uh, this
0: India's Daughter, India's yes, Daughter. Yes,
1: India's yeah. Daughter, and and, and that doc that circular. Uh, it's not a circular; it's an advisory. Uh, which says that ordinarily outsiders should not be given permission, whether yeah. they are researchers, whether they are media people, whether they are NGOs, uh, et cetera. Yeah. So unless we recognize that, uh, you know, there is some, uh, I mean, it's its not as if the uh, people who are running the uh, our prisons or the state knows everything about everything. I mean, there is something uh, that is there to contribute. And I think the best model I can think of is the UK model of the Home Office Research Unit, uh, you know where uh, you know they the home department uh, actively collaborates with uh, academia uh, yeah. and and they they drive the research agenda and policies are influenced by the findings of those uh, uh, you know
2: researchers. Right. Right. So right.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so, and and for that to change, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know that who are there in our prisons. Yeah. I think that that story has to first change, uh,
2: right. because right. then
1: only I think some of these other changes uh, will take place.
2: Right. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah. It, it's
1: a it's a long hard uh, struggle. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, one is not left without hope uh, at the right. same time. But
0: but I'm sure you've seen the needle move at least yes, some Yes, it has. In, in yes, your, yes. In your years yes. and years of work. Yeah, right? absolutely.
1: Okay. And, and there have yeah. always been officers uh, who've come along who have you know, done their bit to right. change, uh, things, uh, bit by bit, you know.
0: Right. Uh, and I guess that's, that's in essence a challenge, isn't it? How do we yes. move from that, uh, yes. very individual dependent, that we're depending on the, on the good senses of certain officers, to a very more true. institutional culture. Yes. Exactly. Uh, right. And In fact, I was just um, going to yeah.
1: add by, end by, by saying that one also feels rather tired and exhausted, you know, uh,
2: <laughs>
1: oh, that, yeah. uh, that constantly having to uh, prove one's credentials
0: Credential.
1: uh, yeah. instead of uh, moving on, faith. you know, and one's yeah. one's good
0: faith, yeah, yeah. one is yeah. constantly yeah. shown, yeah. No, uh, so Dr. Agwan, thank you so much. I mean, not just for this interview, but I guess for the incredible, incredible work that you've done in this uh, in this area, and has and has shown us so much and taught all of us uh, so much about this. Very neglected, ignored, and dark space. Uh, and I guess, as you cited the Nelson Mandela rules on, on uh, treatment of prisoners, I guess yeah. it's only apt to end with uh, what uh, Nelson Mandela said: that you know, if you really yeah. want to know about a nation, all that you need yeah. to do is go yeah. and look inside its jails. Right? Yes, And and, yeah. and it's not by how you judge its uh, uh, highest citizens, but its yes. lowest ones that a country absolutely. must be judged. Yeah. 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 Right, and. I, it, uh, yeah. Yes,
1: Anup. Uh, Anup, no, no. I just want to—I just want to add that it's—it's uh, it's an equal pleasure to uh, interact with you and and the significant body of work which you have created in the yeah. last few years, uh, particularly yeah. your your work on death penalty. Uh, I really uh, feel humbled uh, with that kind of work.
2: Yeah.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Means a lot coming from you, Doctor. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank uh, you. And, and thanks for your time.